Welcome to the Wellbeing for Musicians podcast, a space for you to find support and performance wellbeing resources, helping you on your journey to becoming a happier, healthier musician. I'm your host, Veronika Klirova. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. If you're in the UK, I'm here with Hannah Mitchell-Harrison, who's kindly agreed to do a little interview with me today. So we'll be chatting mainly about how to build confidence as a freelance musician, but also tips about self-care and well-being, because that's what we're discussing here. So Hannah is a freelance pianist. She's a graduate of the Welsh College of Music and Drama. She's a performer, accompanist, ABRSM examiner, teacher as well, right? I think recently you started working with freelance musicians and mm-hmm. offering them advice for kind of wide-ranging advice, right? For their careers, yep. but also how to manage sort of their mm-hmm. energy, their time, money, yep. all of that. So... Could you tell us how you got into music? What was your musical journey like? Yeah, sure. So we go way back to when I was very tiny. My mum has a piano school, so she's been a piano teacher for since before oh. I was born. So I was born into, and my dad plays piano as well, so I was born into a musical family. And so as soon as I could sit up right, I was put on a piano stool <laughs> and um, basically started to play. So my mum taught me herself right through up until grade eight, and then I went to see someone else. So I was always known as the musical one in school, you know, kind of had that label. Everyone just expected that I would be playing at the concerts or whatever. So it just became this label that was attached to me. And then when it came to going to university, I wanted to rebel against that because I was, I'm a bit stubborn. (laughs) And I like to kind of do things for myself and not just have what other people expect of me. So I decided I was going to study music and French, not just music, because everyone assumed that I would go to university to study music or to music college. But I wanted to prove that I wasn't going to do what everyone else said that I would do. I was going to do it my own way. So I went to study music and French. I kept the music, but I wanted to do something else as well. So studied music and French at Exeter University. And even in the first term, I realized that that was a bad idea because I just did not enjoy the French at all. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. Oh, maybe everyone was right. <laughs> maybe I should do just music. So that's what happened. I um, got rid of the French, went into music, and that's kind of where my, love, my proper love of the piano and music for myself kind of came into its own. And then I went on to the Royal Welsh College to do my postgrad in piano performance. And then, yeah, then I graduated and had to decide what I was going to do. <laughs> just kind of thrown into the deep end with where do I go from here and so decided to just make it up as I went along make my own way and kind of fell into freelancing it wasn't something I intentionally set out to do that's just how it happened I just went with it (laughs) and that's what that's how it grew yeah it's so interesting that you say you were the musical child right I remember Mm -hmm. exactly the same thing growing up yeah yeah, at grammar school. <laughs> yeah, I was the one who went to music school every afternoon. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just get these labels and you like attached to your ass. Yeah, it was not even a question what I would go and study. Mm-hmm. I feel when you said you chose that, it's quite funny that you chose that first university degree, French and music. Maybe it was a good thing that you actually did that because otherwise, maybe you would have gone to study music only, and then been wondering. Do I just do this because everybody expects it? 100%. I think so. And 
I mean, at that point, I didn't like the idea of being a musician for my career wasn't something I was even considering. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wasn't really seriously considering being a musician or a pianist. Mm. And so I'm really glad that I like it took that to kind of make me realize that actually was something that I loved and was good at like that I could do. And you're right, I think if I had gone just for music, maybe I would have still resented it or felt like it was put on me rather than choosing it for myself. Definitely. And it's interesting that you said you didn't really consider it as a, didn't necessarily think of it as a career. Mm. I, I sort of feel like the same way. I always okay. felt like I wanted to progress. Yeah. I wanted to learn more on my instrument mm-hmm. and I wanted to get better. Yeah. But I didn't really think about the career side of things yeah. for quite a while. It was mainly focused on that, okay, get better at what I'm doing. So when you graduated, what were the different things you got into as a freelancer? Because you say you sort of fell into that mm-hmm. career. Yeah. So when I graduated, whilst I was at the Royal Bosch College, I was living at home with my parents. So I'd come back from Exeter. And so while I was studying for my postgrad, I was teaching piano with my mum as well. So I kind of had that already, which was great because I had something, you know, at least I had something that was giving me a little bit of money. And after leaving college, uh, a flautist that was in college with me, she chased me down a bit because initially I was being a bit vague and she wanted to form a duo and perform together and make it a set thing. And I was being a bit vague, oh yeah, maybe, not sure. But she was persistent and she kept on at me. And in the end, I said, okay, let's give this a go. And we gelled really well together. And so we had this, once we got going, we had this goal that being in a duo, our duo would be our main source of income. Like we really wanted that to be our main thing. And that would be the bulk of what was in the diary. And so to start with, I was, I was teaching and then I was doing a lot of work with my duo partner. I think we got a couple of recitals in quite quickly from local places. So we were working towards that and thinking, okay, you know, making plans, what can we do? How can we grow this? How can we get more work? And so that was the focus initially. And I think maybe we were a little bit naive in thinking, well, we weren't naive in thinking that because I soon began to realize that's quite a hard thing to like build up. No, right. I was just thinking like a duo that, that Mm -hmm. like, I'm I'm sure you can do it. Yeah, I definitely can. Yeah. But it's a long game, no, to actually establish an ensemble. Yeah, it is a lot of work. And I think maybe more so with flute and piano, I think maybe like with violin and piano. And we kind of branched out into the classical crossover scene as well. And we were experimenting a bit with that. I think partly what was difficult was that we maybe were trying too many different things and not really niching down into just one thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was hard. We did quite a lot of work on cruise ships. We went through a period of performing either as a classical act or as a cabaret act on cruise ships, and which was great fun. So we did that, filled up the diary for a little bit. And then I started branching out into doing my own thing. So I set up South Wales Pianist, mainly for initially it was for piano music at weddings. And that took off quicker than I thought it would. And I started that because kind of like, uh, it just kept growing. So I was getting a lot of work that way. And I mean, little things like I was sending out leaflets to care homes saying, did they want, would they be interested in a piano concert? And I would go around to hear care homes with my digital piano and set up and do a 45 minute concert and Anything I could do that involved playing the piano, I was doing and just kind of experimenting and seeing what took off. Yeah. I was accompanying some local choirs, that kind of thing. So it was just a bit of a mixed bag to start with. Mm. Yeah. So you probably weren't thinking about that when you were graduating college, right? I would say like you can't really expect 
for the college to cover absolutely everything, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to encounter like in your yeah. career. It's just yeah. not possible. Like something yeah. you can't yeah. learn at yeah. a university. It's just not realistic. Yeah. I don't know about nowadays, but yeah, when I was studying, there wasn't really much awareness about, okay, what options are there? I would either be an orchestra musician or I would teach. Yeah, exactly. And that's definitely how it was. I think it is, as I talk to people now, I think it has changed a little bit. And I think there is more focus on freelancing and there is more of a kind of, this is what you need to be able to do or consider this. But I still think it could be more. And I think what was hard for me when I graduated was I just didn't know anything. <laughs> I had no guidance at all. And I wouldn't have even called myself a freelance musician to start with because that term, I wasn't even really aware of that term, which maybe is not the case now. I think it's more common now to be aware of that. Yeah. But yeah, there is a lot of stuff that we don't get taught as musicians that relates to our career in terms of the business side of it all and all that kind of management stuff that you need to know. It's not just about being a musician. Like there's a whole range of other skills that come into it, which I didn't know. <laughs> And I think like it would not take a massive amount, right? Dipping your toe in it mm -hmm. and like getting familiar with it. And then obviously you have to learn along the way. But mm -hmm. if you don't even have the awareness, <laughs> this is like, this exists. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, hard to then yeah. Yeah, to yeah. Like make your own way. Mm -hmm. So is that kind of the reason why you started working with freelance musicians? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I wanted to do it for a while and just hadn't had the time to set anything up, which is lovely. I was very, very busy before the pandemic. And that was why I wanted to help others as well, because I got to that point in my career where I felt like I'd reached this point where I was busy choosing what work I wanted to do because I had enough to say no to some stuff and choosing how I wanted my career to look. And I, it was just a really nice position to be in to finally got there. And that had taken me like over a decade to get to that point. It was a long, long journey. And I think when you leave college, music college, it, it's really an, unnerving and like scary because you don't know, are you going to get to that point? How do you get to that point? People are saying to you, oh, shouldn't you get a proper job? You know, can you really <laughs> can you survive as a freelance musician? Like, I'm not sure. And like, you've got to be strong enough to come against that. And so I really wanted to support, well, I want to support people in that because I've had so much joy from the career that I've had and that still have, hopefully, <laughs> that I want to support others in that. So that, yeah, that was the big kind of drive. I wanted to create something that I wish had been around when I left college and had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> funny that you say you know should you get a proper job <laughs> and I think even for my family like some of them just just still don't like <laughs> the career I, I don't think it's in a bad way right like mm -hmm. it's really hard to put yourself in those shoes when you yeah. just you're living a totally different life you maybe played an instrument but not really yeah it is so I don't think it comes from a bad place but it's so yeah. common yeah, well, that's it. I mean, if it's not on your radar as a job option, like, why would you even understand it? I've had people say to me, I remember specifically one person saying to me, oh, like, how are you doing? Do you, do you have enough work? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I have too much, actually. <laughs> and it was quite satisfying <laughs> to be able to say, yeah, actually, I'm doing fine. <laughs> but people just assume that if you're a freelance musician, you must be struggling to make ends meet. Uh, so it doesn't need to be the case. So you have a podcast, right? I listened to yeah. quite a few episodes. It's enjoyable. <laughs> it's really interesting to actually listen to the different musicians and you have a mm. kind of a wide range of interesting mm. people. I, I'm sure that's not like lost on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to kind of cover as much as I can anyway. <laughs> but I think one of the episodes you talked about 
how certain kinds of work in music are seen as kind of inferior. Like we have this mm -hmm. idea that unless you have a, a full-time job, you somehow didn't make it. And I'm not saying everyone, but it could come across that way, I think. Definitely. Yeah, you have an experience with that yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, I always struggled. But when I left college, I very much felt like I wasn't a real pianist <laughs> because I hadn't had any kind of special music training growing up. I didn't go to like a specialist music school. I mean, I grew up in the Welsh Valleys, which it was lovely, but where I was, there wasn't a lot of extra music stuff that you could do. And also because I was a pianist, I wasn't in like a youth orchestra or anything like that. I couldn't do that side of things either. So I felt like that in some way would hold me back. I went to university for a music degree, so I didn't go straight to music college. So I felt like that meant I was kind of a lower quality musician. And, you know, I, I hadn't won any competitions when I was a teenager or anything like that. So I just had this idea that all these things would hold me back or make me less of a musician. And then when I started freelancing, I was doing stuff like playing at care homes and playing at weddings. And it got to the point where quite a lot of my income came from playing at weddings. And I would say to myself, oh, well, you're just a wedding pianist. So that doesn't really count as a proper pianist because you're not playing in formal recitals. Although I was sometimes with my duo, like we were playing proper formal recitals. But mm. and I don't think actually anyone ever said that to me. I think I put that on myself when I had it in my own mind, but it must have come from somewhere. I think generally in the classical music world, there is that thought. I don't know. Would you agree? I was thinking about it, you know, in the days before this, that's kind of one of the main topics that I wanted to talk yeah. to you about. And I think we do in the music industry assign value to those jobs, to better or worse. But it's interesting that she say that you were sort of almost putting yourself down in your own head. <laughs> and I was thinking as you were saying those things, like, would you ever say that to another musician? You're just a wedding pianist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember having a chat with... Uh, another musician friend of mine, he was a drummer and a percussionist. And I can picture it in my mind. We were sat in Cafe Nero in London and he said there were a group of us and he said, oh, has, you know, has anyone got any gigs coming up? And I said, oh, not really. I said, I've got a few weddings, but that doesn't really count. And he said, what do you mean that doesn't count? Of course that counts. You're being paid to play the piano. Therefore, it's a gig and that counts. And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, that is true. I mean, I think we have this idea of levels of gigs and what counts as like a proper gig or a professional gig and what doesn't. But actually, if you're being paid to do something, then it's a professional job. You're being paid to do it, regardless of what that is, whether you're playing for like you know, a small group in a care home or you're in with more hall. It's a professional job. It doesn't matter. For some people, playing in a care home might be infinitely more rewarding than yeah. playing in an orchestra. And I was thinking about it. It's easy for this to come from me, right? <laughs> because I was lucky enough to get a job in an orchestra. Mm -hmm. But I think like a lot of people, I don't think it's necessarily like the key to happiness for every no. single musician. Uh, in a job, you need mastery, autonomy and purpose. So I feel like I have purpose, right? Music sort of is a purpose yeah, in it's all right. That's the yeah. nice thing about it. I do like the thing that I have mastered. Otherwise, I would not have that job. Yeah. <laughs> not really. Like, it's amazing. Some of the stuff that you do, like in a big mm -hmm. orchestra concert where everybody goes for it. It's yeah. kind of hard to replicate that energy. Yeah. But you can't decide how to do every single thing. It, it can't be your way because there's just too many people there. It's just the nature of the job. Yeah. yeah. For some people... This really wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I would struggle 
as an orchestral player in some ways because I like, like to yeah. be in charge of one thing. <laughs> it's great in a lot of ways. And I think this is maybe why a lot of, say, even myself, right, or a lot of my colleagues that have other projects mm. on the side because that's the, the way I see it, that's sort of the autonomy part. That's where they can be yeah. really creative with something smaller. So it took another person to actually tell you, well, no, the wedding actually is a gig. Yeah. And it's taken, I mean, I always had this for a long time. I felt like, oh, if I just do this, I'll be successful. If I just do that, I'll be successful. And like mm. this feeling of I hadn't quite made it yet or wasn't quite there. Like I didn't quite have a successful mm. career yet. But then like I've come to realize that why should I let other people's or what I assume other people's opinions are or, or thoughts or whatever determine what is successful for me? I need to decide what my mm. success is going to be, what does success mean to me? How do I know when I've been successful? And that changes for everybody because everybody's version of success is going to be different. What's successful to one person is, is different to someone else's. And I think as classical musicians, I think we have this idea, oh, well, if I get a job in a top orchestra, then I'm successful. But up until that point, I'm not successful. I don't know where that comes from. I really don't know where that comes from. But yeah. it's so not true. I mean, it is so not true. I mean, I think if you're making a living from music, whatever that looks like, then you are successful because it's hard. It's hard to do that. And I think we need to cut ourselves some slack and stop pushing for that top, top, top thing whatever that thing is when in reality and this process actually never has an end right because I could yeah. be thinking well I haven't ever won a major competition therefore mm. I'm not really a successful flute player yeah. right maybe I have a job in an orchestra but mm -hmm. I'm not doing world tours or you know it just never yeah. has an end this like sort of yeah. external validation so you just have to like you say at some point you just have to say okay well I am a professional musician yeah and I got where I am through hard work and just give yourself some, some grace. I was going to say also, like knowing why are you doing it? Are you oh. building your career to prove something to someone else? We have these, we put this pressure on ourselves. I must do this so that I, I remember saying to myself, and I probably said it to other people as well. I said, I just want to be respected as a musician in my field. I want people to respect me. And that was partly, not entirely, but I think there was an element of that in applying to exam to be a music examiner because I thought well if I'm a music examiner then people will respect me because that obviously suggests that they know what I'm talking about <laughs> you tongue and no I am a music examiner and yeah I think that does help in some ways in terms of people thinking you know that you have experience but when it comes to other people I think you realize that people respect you for who you are not what you do and so I feel now like people will respect me because of who I am as a person, not because of my achievements or what I've done. And I think that's way more important than people thinking well of me just because I do this, this and this, the superficial yeah, stuff. And I think it takes, for better or worse, there, is, there are two levels to this, right? For better or worse, I, like I said, we assign value to those jobs and things <laughs> and titles. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they can open doors, right? They will yeah. not give you like happiness or just blanket respect, but mm -hmm. they open doors. So maybe yeah. it also takes a cultural shift or industry shift for us to move away from just yeah. that sort of narrow view. But yeah. also, like you say, like cultivate your own respect to yourself. 
Because no external job or title will give you that anyway. Like somebody could say, oh, she just got that job because, you know, who knows, she shouldn't have got it. Or, you know, there's always ways or always people who will not have respect for you. Exactly. Yeah. It's not going to be won by a title or... No. And you can't control what other people think of you anyway. I mean, whatever you do, there are going to be people who who think less of you, you know, you just can't, you physically can't force people to think a certain way about you. So don't waste time trying to do that. (laughs) It's too exhausting. (laughs) Definitely. So would this be sort of one of your tips for freelance musicians? Cultivate that self-respect and... Yeah. And know why you're doing it. Know what success looks like for you. Mm -hmm. So you know what you're aiming to towards for yourself regardless of what you think other people might think of what you do and knowing what your goal and purpose is and not letting that be influenced by what you think Mm. other people think of it. Yeah, and also trying to maybe like please other people, right? So Mm -hmm. maybe you have parents with a lot of ambition. (laughs) And at the end of the day, like once you arrive at that destination that they envision, maybe that's not going to make you happy. Exactly, yeah. You need to go for your own vision, not someone else's. So that would be sort of like a mindset thing, would you say? Yeah, definitely. That is definitely a bit, yeah, it's all about mindset, I think. Because if you, because freelancing is hard and it's so uncertain. This is the thing with freelancing, like you don't have that job security. So to stick it out, you really have to know why you're doing it and where you're headed with it. Because if you don't, then that uncertainty is going to take over. And I think you won't be able to to cope with it you have to be able to handle it because it's tough so having the right mindset is really crucial to be able to keep going <laughs> i know people have been mentioning motivation and i think this is also kind of a current issue but you know challenge because there yeah. are no gigs <laughs> or not many okay how do you keep going when the diary is empty <laughs> yeah yeah for a while yeah yeah it's really hard <laughs> it's really hard And I think, well, I think you have to be realistic in that maybe what you were aiming for at the end of 2019, like the dreams that you had for the next couple of years, that aim has to change because our situation has changed. You have to be flexible and pivot with what's going on around you because otherwise you are going to feel unmotivated because maybe what your aim was is not going to happen in that time frame. So of course you're going to feel unmotivated. You think, what's the point? So I think you have to change the way you're thinking and viewing what you're doing and where you're headed and reframe your your goal, where you head into, so that it is realistic within what's happening now. And then having little steps that you can take towards that and just doing something small each day that moves you forward. Mm. And once you do one thing, that motivates you to do the next thing and taking it step by step rather than thinking, well, I want to be performing a world tour by the end of 2021. Like that's not going to happen. We know that's not going to happen right now. So that's unrealistic. It's having that realistic expectation of what you can do because then it's achievable. If you're aiming for something that's not going to happen, then you're not going to feel motivated at all. So I love that those realistic, small goals. Then also you feel like, okay, well, I have something to celebrate or... rather than a huge massive unrealistic goal that you're bound to fail yeah (laughs) and uh, like beat yourself up over i'm not where i am right where where i want it to be Mm -hmm. at this point yeah and like you have to see you have to see progress to motivate you right nobody feels motivated if you're not progressing or moving forward so Mm -hmm. set yourself up 
so that you will be able to progress. And that's going to be the first step in making things happen is aiming for realistic things and making that small step of progress each day or each week, whatever it might be. So we're kind of all about well-being here. Are there any kind of self-care or well-being tips you would have? Mm-hmm. I know it's a kind of a wide question, but... Yeah, no, sure. I don't think I've ever been, or certainly not until recently, been very good at self-care because I'm one of these people that I've always had high expectations for myself so I, and I will beat myself up if I don't get mm. there. And I'm always pushing myself to do more, to do more, to do more. And I think certainly now lockdown, when everything stopped, life was busy and then life went to nothing. And I suddenly realized actually having space is quite nice <laughs> and it gave me time to breathe, which is a bit of a revelation because I'd always, before I'd always thought being busy, 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 busy was meant in some ways, I think I measured busyness with success and lockdown has helped me to realize that it needs to be a balance. And so I'm getting a lot better at appreciating like quiet time and just resting time and even if I haven't got anything in the diary I'm always thinking right what could I be doing next what could I be doing next but factoring in like that rest time is important to the to me being able to do something the next thing because I need to recharge and so just having a half hour to sit down before I start my evenings teaching rather than working right up online doing stuff online right up until I start teaching and then going straight into teaching and not giving myself any breathing space because then I just get exhausted And I've learned that actually you're more productive when you have that bit of space than just working right through the day and no time. So that's definitely been a big one for me recently is me time and quiet time of just resting, not being online, not scrolling on my phone, because that is from mental well-being as well. I've been really trying to like minimize my social media scrolling because I think Mm. that is a big thing with comparing the comparison thing. I think for musicians is really hard online. When you're seeing other people playing or you see, oh, look, they've got a gig. Well, why haven't I got a gig? I was listening to somebody talking about jealousy and how usually it's where you know you could be doing it. But for some reason you're not. And you're like, Mm -hmm. well, I could be doing this. They were saying you're not going to be jealous of somebody who has a completely different life. You're not going to be jealous of a famous politician because they have a lot of power. (laughs) You don't want that. But maybe you want more gigs. And so it's like somewhere where you can step into your potential you have a room to grow but the jealousy is sort of like it's kind of interesting to examine notice okay well why do I feel that way and yeah okay what can I do to actually you know how can I reframe it and yeah try but yeah you're right social media this will sound really bad but I follow just a small number of things that I find useful and close mm-hmm. friends and family yeah. so yeah. my feed is actually really really small and I've kind of developed this habit of actually unfollowing, not in a bad way, but unfollowing people that give me this kind of feeling of comparison or jealousy. Or yeah, definitely. I mean, it's nice to examine it, but also I don't need it every day. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And I think if seeing, and I think even if, say somebody's doing really well and doing what you would like to be doing, by not following them, it doesn't mean like, that you're not happy for them but if it's bad for your mental health to see that all the time then limit it because it's not going to help you and if all you do is yourself up this is why I'm jealous right because I think what they're doing is amazing you know and I'm totally happy for them but I just don't need a reminder yeah and I don't need to put myself in that space by watching it every day yeah about choosing like where does your energy 
go because the Definitely. brain is processing stuff all the time, right? It's like eating, right? <laughs> what yeah. Do you want to digest? Yeah, exactly. In terms of information. What I found really interesting is when you talked about the way you would talk to yourself at the beginning, maybe of your mm. career, like beat yourself up when it wasn't what you envisioned, the amount of work you would do. Yeah. yeah. Also linking busyness to success. And I had the same thing, like to self-worth. Like yeah. I'm only a good person if I'm really productive and I'm really busy and putting stuff out and contributing. Yeah. And that's a kind of a dangerous pattern, I think, to get into because then yeah. you just keep pushing yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I've, I've fallen into that trap so many times. Definitely. Like I'm always struggling with this. It's the freelance nature to want to like say yes to everything and take on everything because you don't know what's going to happen next month. And you, you know, you might be kicking yourself that you didn't take that bit of work on because next month you haven't got any. So it's in our freelance nature to never turn anything down or to always try and fill every, every hour of the day that you can, because you're trying to prevent yourself from suddenly having like this gap of work and no money coming in. And there is a balance, definitely. Like you do have to consider that, but obviously not to the extent where you're it's damaging your well-being. You have to have a balance. And, I, and I've learned the hard way. I've, you know, I've burnt out a couple of times and ended up ill and not able to work for a little bit. So it's kind of has the negative effect then. I think maybe, like you say, like a lot of it is a mindset thing. I think these things, it comes from a good place, right? You want to do yeah. good work and yeah. you want to like get better and you want to be productive. So you sort of put self-care on the like back burner, like, mm -hmm. oh, it's just it's not a priority because I have to do my work. Yeah. Yeah. But actually at some point, it can get to the point where, like you say, it just gets so bad that you can't work mm -hmm. at all exactly. for a while. And yeah. so th the final outcome is actually like worse than if you... Yeah, I mean, you're trying to prevent yourself from not having any money coming in, but then you end up with that anyway because you work yourself to the ground and then you can't work. So you kind of actually end up with what you were trying to avoid. So it's counterproductive. <laughs> Maybe it's also like we discussed with you going to a college program sort of to prove that you weren't going to study just music and then realizing, well, actually I do. This yeah. is maybe similar. Like once you go through that, it's not pleasant and I wouldn't recommend it. But once you get to the point where there's a serious issue, like an illness or mm -hmm. you just burn out, for a lot of people, that's kind of a wake up call. And then, then maybe it motivates you to also like explore preventative measures yeah. and ways you can take care of yourself after yeah. you get a little bit better. I feel like there is a silver lining and things like that happening. Oh yeah. I mean, recently the last couple of weeks have been quite busy, which have been lovely, but it's felt like a, almost a reminder of what life was like before the pandemic, just being frantic all the time. And I noticed my body getting run down and I've learned to recognize the signs now. There are certain things that happen when I'm heading that way. And so I've been really conscious of that the last couple of weeks. And so I've cut back on just stuff that I was doing that wasn't essential. And I've just been doing what I have to do. I can't put off, but cutting down on everything else and intentionally taking time to stop and just lie down, like my body, like proper rest. And it's worked, like I haven't ended up really ill. <laughs> so, and that's been great because I'm able to keep going rather than just crash and boom. It's kind of funny because when we, before we logged in, I was telling you about <laughs> taking this morning just easy because yeah. I did a, like a similar thing I did a lot of work and then I realized okay well <laughs> I'll just take the morning off even though I had yeah. a lot of things planned but mm -hmm. you know sometimes you just have to go no I'm not gonna show up say this afternoon in yeah. a good way if mm -hmm. I just keep pushing through yeah. all morning <laughs>
here is another question and I'm going to like sort of <laughs> go away a little bit from the self-care topic, but mm -hmm. people in this group have been mentioning or interested in learning about ways to cope with performance anxiety. It seems to be quite, kind of a big topic. Do you have any personal sort of advice or, you know, experience? Are you okay to share that? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's something that I have found the magic answer to. <laughs> I definitely struggle with performance anxiety. And it's been a while, well, for everybody, it's been a while now where we've had to really deal with it in terms of stepping onto a stage to perform. But when I was at college, at kind of in the early days, I would get really bad performance anxiety before a concert and just this fear of what if I mess up? And if I was performing from memory as a pianist, like what if I have a memory slip? That is going to be the worst thing in the world. And this fear of embarrassing myself on stage or not being good enough, that fear of people would think, oh, well, I'm not good enough. Then, you know, I must be terrible. And like, again, like, I think a lot of it comes down to mindset. And why are you so afraid of somebody seeing you slip up or make like a mistake or yeah embarrassing yourself because I mean you'd have to do something pretty terrible for people to really be like oh my goodness did you see that you know <laughs> we have it in our head as a big issue and I always remember somebody saying to me I was learning a concerto a few a couple of years back and getting a bit stressed out and I was on an examining tour with some colleagues and talking about it and one of them said to me well well, what's the worst that can happen? Like if you have a, a memory slip, what's the worst that can happen? And actually it's not that bad, <laughs> you know? Okay, you might be annoyed with yourself, but in the grand scheme of things, like mm. nobody's going to die if you have a memory slip. I think it's maybe putting it into context of what actually will happen if something goes wrong. Like yeah. what is it that you're worried about? Because I think it goes often goes deeper than just mistake I think there's more to it and I think for me it's that doing a lot of work on that has really helped and thinking okay it's not the end of the world if this performance doesn't go as well as I feel it should or you know I feel like I'm holding myself up to this standard of perfection and I've realized that actually you don't need to do that do you find your playing got better when you actually like changed yeah that pressure comes off you like you take that pressure off yourself and I think yeah. that is it we put all that pressure on ourselves to be perfect and actually no one's perfect and also what helped <laughs> was I was in spending some time in Hong Kong and I'd gone to see a concert one evening and it was there was a flute concerto and something else I can't remember what but I went to see it one evening and it was it was amazing and a colleague went to see the same concert the next evening same performer same music and that mm -hmm. evening Slotist had a memory slip in the concerto and I don't know if they had to pick it up or what happened but I remember him saying to me she had a memory slip and I'm like wow she was amazing when I saw her and if if somebody like that can have a memory slip it happens it, to everybody yes everybody does it's also this I think damaging idea people have especially maybe uh, when you're studying music all these people are perfect yeah all these successful people are perfect and mm -hmm. therefore I have to be as well otherwise I'm not going to make it and that's, yeah. that's not true like people yeah. like I make mistakes but this is yeah. the funny thing, like you said, in my mindset and self-pressure, I have the experience that once I actually told myself, well, I, I, there might be a mistake or two in this concert. I actually yeah. didn't make it. <laughs> like the pressure was off. Yeah. It may happen. It's not the end of the world. And when you just cut yourself some slack, you have to do that. Because yeah. it's the thing that's going to actually get you better results. And it feels scary. But it's not like it additional... 
I'm not okay. I'm not perfect. And that's okay. Mm. It's okay. Got to be perfect because nobody is. It's like the release of tension. You think, okay, well, that's fine. Yeah. If I don't have to be perfect, well, I can do it then. That's okay. <laughs> we talked a lot about external validation and other people's thoughts mm-hmm. about us, but really like it's the self-pressure and ourselves. We should do that to ourselves. And, and you so. might never say it to anybody else, would you? Like I would never say to my students, you have to do perfectly yeah. in that exam otherwise you're no good like you just wouldn't say that would you <laughs> because we know it's not true and yet we do it to ourselves it's just crazy <laughs> we were talking about recording some audition advice for students of mm. the youth orchestra here in Birmingham and we sort of sent each other topic so that we don't repeat and it was so nice to see because there was nothing about you need to be like this like this like this most yeah. of the topics were about perfectionism Think about the music rather than everything being this way. Things like that. So you just see that even like professional musicians, people that may be sitting on a committee or a jury, they don't even want perfectionism. They don't expect it. Why would you expect it from yourself? Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's so hard to like get to that place. It's not like this, like, oh, now I know this. All my problems are magic. (laughs) (laughs) If only, that'd be amazing. (laughs) the process to integrate that even though you know it's true maybe you already know about it and you know it's true it mm-hmm. takes a while to actually yeah. like have it as your lived experience and I think a lot of it comes with experience like it's that lived experience of going through it and then coming out the other side and it being a very gradual process and I think one of the reasons why I don't wouldn't get as anxious now as I did back in college is because I have more experience now like and not just of performing but of life in general of how life works you know I think it all kind of comes into play and is related cool this is a nice note to end on could you maybe tell people where they can find you or connect with you if they want to find out more or yeah well you can come and follow me on social media it'd be great to connect that's probably the quickest place so I'm on Facebook or Instagram at the freelance musician and then if you want to find out about the resources I have to help help freelance musicians you can look at my website which is southwellspianist.co.uk forward slash the freelance musician and all my resources there and there's the freelance musician podcast as well which you can search for and listen to and that's there's lots of episodes available i would recommend that i really enjoyed that thank you listen (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's good to know (laughs) really interesting ideas as well that you get from like listening to different people like different Mm -hmm. sort of careers and you know just ways of doing this job yeah of the division oh well, thank yeah. you so much for chatting to me uh thank you thank you for having me in the group it's been really lovely to chat and i hope you're doing a great job in this group thank you i'd love to continue the conversation with you you can find me at musiciansyogawithveronica.com or head over to the well-being for musicians community facebook group It's a private group full of musicians just like you and I, designed to offer you further support and guidance on your journey to becoming a happier, healthier musician.